0: I'd like to read from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 57. Isaiah, chapter 57, and verse 19. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is afar off, and to him that is nigh, saith Jehovah, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea which cannot rest and whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. And then in the epistle to the Colossians and chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. And by him to reconcile all things to itself, having made peace by the blood of his cross, by him, whether the things on the earth or the things in the heavens, And you, who once were alienated and enemies in mind by wicked works, yet now has it reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and irreproachable before it. And then in the epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. But now... In Christ Jesus, ye who once were afar off are become nigh by the blood of the Christ, for he is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of enclosure, having annulled the enmity in his flesh, the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might form the two in himself into one new man, making peace and might reconcile both in one body to God by the cross, having by it slain the enmity and coming. He has preached the glad tidings of peace to you who were afar off and the glad tidings of peace to those who were nigh. And then in the epistle to the Romans, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified on the principle of faith, We have peace towards God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have also access by faith into this favour in which we stand, and we boast in hope of the glory of God. Peace is a subject which has occupied many in this world for a long time, probably since the start of things in this world. And we look around us and there are many things which we can see which are not peaceful. There are wars going on and there are persons who have been responsible for starting those wars. And there are persons who uh, think that they are responsible for trying to stop them. We hear, don't we, many times of meetings where people talk about peace and how it can be achieved. They have uh, even what they call peace summits. I don't know quite why they use that word, but uh, anyway, it's what they use as, you might say, describing a meeting where it's most likely that there will be a good outcome from it. But there are these individuals or perhaps uh, a few persons who will talk about peace and they speak about a peace process. But you think of the countless persons who are affected by these conditions where there is not peace? We read, don't we, in wars of thousands being killed. It's happening at this present moment. Think just even of Ukraine and uh, in uh, Israel and around there. That there are thousands who have been killed. Maybe just uh, leading their lives as they think. And then they're just uh, suddenly cut off. Their life is cut off. And you think of the misery of those who are left behind as well. What mourning there is. Because of uh, the unrest that there is in this world. And there are many who are rightly occupied with such things. But what I want to speak to you about tonight is not world peace. Although that is to be brought in, but it's not yet brought in. But what I want to speak to you about is you personally. What sort of peace are you enjoying? I'm speaking about peace with God. I'm speaking about where you would spend eternity. Because there are many, as I've said, uh, who have been living their lives as they think one day and then they're killed. Or they just die. We we see people, don't we? We hear of people who just drop dead. Where would they spend eternity? Have they during their lifetimes known peace? Peace with God. Isaiah... Speaks, doesn't he, of uh, peace. And what a wonderful appeal there is in this section. There is uh, an appeal, I think, not just to Israel, whom I suppose uh, Isaiah would be particularly occupied with, but uh, this appeal for peace, I think, would go out far wider than that a wonderful scripture in the Old Testament, and we think that uh, mainly it concerns itself with the nation of Israel. But, you know, the gospel, even Isaiah's day, had in view the salvation not just of Israel but of the world. So it's uh, peace, peace to him that is afar off. Well, uh, I suppose one... uh, way you could understand it is that uh, there were those of Israel who had been scattered and they were literally afar off. But there were those as well who had not been scattered and they were near. But uh, the appeal I think is to all. That if you now in our day are feeling far from God, there is an appeal to you that you should have peace. So uh, it says here, I create the fruit of the lips. It's an extraordinary expression, isn't it? Why does Why does God bring that in here as to creating the fruit of the lips? I think it is because uh, from ourselves, from our own lips, as sinners, there would be nothing for God. There would just be cursing. There would just be uh, expressions of this world which would come out. And we hear plenty of those around us, don't we? Persons whose uh, every other word seems to be a swear word. Persons who take God's name in vain. But I'm talking about a God uh, who is able to change you. He'd be able to change your speech. He'd be able to change uh, what is in your heart. And he'd be able to give you certainty as to the salvation in him which is available. So uh, it says, Peace, peace to him that is afar off and to him that is nigh, saith Jehovah, And I will heal him. Now we read don't we in the New Testament. In the Gospels of a man who went about doing good and healing people. That was the Lord Jesus. What relief he brought didn't he. uh, To the lives of so many that he came in contact with. He healed them. He was able to heal Not just, you might say, those with minor diseases, but he was able to heal persons with fatal diseases. He was able to heal lepers. He was able to give sight to the blind. He was able to give hearing to the deaf. Well, those were things which I suppose we would be immediately concerned with ourselves. If we're not well, we want to go to the doctor because we want to be healed. We can understand that sort of thing, can't we? but the healing that god has in mind uh, is not just what is physical but uh, it's the healing of uh, your well, your mind and where uh, what, what that is occupied with is healing of what you are as a sinner before god and there's only he who can bring that in you can do nothing of yourself to improve yourself so that you can be acceptable to god See, God speaks here of the wicked. The wicked are like the troubled sea. Now, do you regard yourself as one of the wicked ones? Maybe you don't like that word. I suppose another word that uh, Scripture would use is sinners. Sinners are like the troubled sea. Well, we're told, aren't we, in Scripture, that we are all sinners. All have sinned. So, uh, we all come into that category. But uh, what the gospel has in mind is that, while we can do nothing about our own personal state as sinners, that uh, we can be forgiven sinners. James tells us, doesn't he, that we all often offend. Those are sins we can never escape. All the time we're here from things which uh, which mark us naturally. There will not be a full release from those until the Lord comes. And every believer on the Lord Jesus will have a body of glory. We'll always be marked by sin. But we have a God who forgives sinners. So he says the wicked are like the troubled sea. Well, we live near the sea here, don't we? And we see what it's like during a storm and after a storm. When it's, uh, when it's uh, a smooth sea, well, you don't see so much of this mire and dirt. You perhaps see nice clear water. But you just need a good storm and it stirs it all up, doesn't it? And maybe there's a storm that's waiting to happen in your soul. Maybe you've been going on... Uh, As you think quite nicely, that uh, God is able to intervene in your life. We read of various persons in scripture in whose lives God intervenes. He might use various things. In Philippi, at one time, he used an earthquake. You think of how that must have made people think. Certainly the jailer thought, didn't he? He was going to kill himself. You wonder what was in his heart because he said, what must I do that I may be saved? What asked, what made him ask that question? Was it that he saw the mire and dirt in his soul being stirred up? Well, that might have been the case. But what about you? What is God uh, probing in your heart now? What mire and dirt is there? What is there of your sins which could stand up against you? if you were to be brought uh, before the uh, before the uh, for god what could he uh, what could he find against you well that the mire and dirt is written in books out of which uh, people are judged and i'm sure god uh, could find much in me which would have that character he could open books and judge me from all those things but uh, The difference between me and an unforgiven sinner is that I know the Saviour. And he's the one uh, who has come in that I might have peace. Because that is what uh, this is about, isn't it? Peace, peace to him that is afar off and to him that is nigh. But then in verse 21, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. No peace to the wicked. So ask you again, what category are you in? Are you amongst uh, sinners who were saved? Or are you in the category of sinners who have not received the Saviour? Because there is another appeal to you today, that you might come to know the Saviour who can give you peace. And I read in the New Testament, because we see there three aspects of peace. In Colossians, we find uh, the one who has made peace. In Ephesians, we find the one who is our peace. And in Romans, we have peace. So everything hangs on the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospel. You may well have heard the Gospel many times. You've heard of Jesus You've heard how he went about in this world doing good and undoing the works of the devil because God was with him. But uh, in order for there to be peace available to you, peace in your soul, peace in your heart, it required that Jesus should not only live here, but that uh, he should die. And not only die, but hang on a cross. As we know, it was the judgment of dreadful criminals. There were two who were crucified either side of Jesus, and they were criminals. And there was one who should have died, but uh, he was released, and he was a murderer. That's the sort of person who should have been crucified in those days. And yet the man uh, who had the power to release Jesus and said, in him, in this man, I find nothing amiss, he gave him up to be crucified because he wanted an easy life. He was the governor and he knew what these Jews were like. They were ready to cause trouble at the slightest uh, provocation. So he just uh, washed his hands literally of the whole affair. That shows what man's justice is like, doesn't it? But then uh, we are told, aren't we, that uh, if the rulers of this world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It was through God's ordering that this man, this sinless man, Jesus, should go to the cross and make peace. Peace uh, which you can have in your soul as knowing that your sins, which could be written in a book, And held against you. Have been born on the cross by Jesus. And it speaks here of the blood of his cross. It was necessary that Jesus should shed his blood. Because we're told uh, that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. God uh, set up that standard, didn't he, in the Old Testament. We read of sacrifices which were made, animal sacrifices, and uh, the blood flowed from those sacrifices. It was offered on an altar to God. And uh, I suppose persons got a certain peace when they brought a sacrifice. But they couldn't have known the peace which is available to those who believe on the Lord Jesus. Because we look on to one sacrifice which never needs to be repeated. In those days, uh, somebody would sin and perhaps if he felt that bad about it, he'd bring a sacrifice for his sin. But then he might sin again and he need to bring another sacrifice. And just think if he didn't have one available. Think if he was a poor man who could bring nothing. You know, God isn't asking anything from you he's not asking any riches he's not asking for any ability from your uh, from your side to bring anything that might make up for your sins but you know God has given Jesus to die for your sins and he has made peace it's said in Isaiah there is no peace to the wicked but you know the sinless one the only one who was not wicked He is the one who was made peace by the blood of his cross. By him. Whether the things on the earth or the things in the heavens. Perhaps we little understand the greatness of the work of Jesus on the cross. We uh, would speak about it as applying to ourselves here on earth. But it uh, is the basis on which God. Is going to bring in new creation. And that is heaven and earth are affected. And even at this moment. Heaven has been affected. By the work of Christ. We know that. There are those. In heaven at present. That uh, celebrate the worthiness of the Lamb, And in a day to come. When things have really been set right in this world. Heaven and earth will be celebrating the love of God as shown in Jesus. So uh, the things on the earth or the things in the heavens. And you, he says, and he's writing to these persons here in Colossae. But you think of these writings being preserved. Persons who thought they were worth preserving. And we're very favoured to have them now collected in a book with various other writings. Which people saw the value of, so that the Colossians would have read this epistle first, and I'm sure they could, uh, <coughs> they could have almost imagined Paul saying it. They would have known him as the author. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in mind by wicked works, there we are, wicked works. No, uh, no peace for the wicked, and these persons were alienated. think what it is to be alienated, it's when you, uh, I suppose, have no access to uh, other people. We read of aliens, don't we? And I don't mean uh, aliens from outer space, but uh, uh, those who are who are spoken of as aliens, aren't they? In other words, they they they're not, uh, as far as for the British Isles are concerned, they're not British. They're from another country. They're regarded as aliens. And so they don't have the rights in this country that persons born here would have. So uh, he speaks here of being alienated and enemies in mind. Not much going for us, is there? Aliens and enemies. Enemies in mind. In other words, our, th- our thoughts are against God. And we're told elsewhere, aren't they, that we are enemies. But... That God Himself has intervened even for enemies. Enemies in mind by wicked by wicked works, yet now has it reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. <laughs> to present you holy and unblameable and irreproachable before it. It's extraordinary, isn't it? That he's writing here to persons who were alienated and uh, who were enemies, who were doing evil, doing wicked things, and now they're spoken of as being holy and unblameable and irreproachable. You see, this is put here from God's side. In Colossians, it's from God's side. And that is what is most important, that uh, the things are done for the satisfaction of God. If that were not the case, then uh, there could be no salvation for us. But God himself has been satisfied as to the whole question of sin. Because Jesus has died on the cross and he's taken uh, our sins there. And I trust you can say that personally yourself, that he's taken your sins upon himself. He died for all. Yes, he came uh, and suffered on the cross for all. But it's only if you receive the gospel, only if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, that you can come into that blessing which is available now. So God has been satisfied and he would want to present you holy. And unblameable and irreproachable. That is uh, against a person that no charge can ever be brought. An irreproachable person. Isn't that wonderful? That's how God regards a person who has believed on the Lord Jesus. And God is not asking anything complicated of you. He's asking that you should believe on the Lord Jesus. Just as that, that uh, J.L. and Philippi was told. Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. That is what God is asking for. And if you do that, just that simple thing, then you are regarded by him as holy and unblameable and irreproachable. Well, I read in Ephesians, it's the person. It's Jesus. He is our peace. So we point you to the finished work of the Lord Jesus. We point you to the cross of Christ where his blood was shed. Where our sins were dealt with forever. But now he is our peace. And I want to ask you. Do you know that person for yourself? You might have heard of his work. You might have heard it many times in the gospel. But do you know him? Job was one who said that he'd heard about God. His ears had heard plenty about God. But then he said. Now mine eyes Thee, and I repent in dust and ashes. So he is our peace. Isn't that wonderful that we who deserve nothing but judgment from God that we are wicked like those in Isaiah for whom there is no peace yet now we have a Saviour in Jesus who is our peace. Who was made both one. He's speaking here as we know about Jew and Gentile because that was a big question then. There were the Jews who were God's chosen people on earth, and I suppose they thought that they had first claim on Jesus. Perhaps they thought they were superior to all these nations, all these non-Jews. But uh, Paul here is saying, no, you're all the same. And uh, because he is our peace, then there is nothing which can disturb peace. So far as all those who are saved are concerned. Because he is our peace. Whatever your background. Whatever your religious background. Or whether you've been without any religion at all. He is our peace. And he's annulled the enmity in his flesh. That's the enmity I think between one and another. The enmity which is seen so often in this world. Between persons. Enemies. You go to war, don't you, uh, against enemies. But here is one who has uh, annulled the enmity in his flesh. That means that as coming into this world as a man, he uh, has uh, put an end to those things. That is what he has done uh, before God. But it's a question of whether you accept it for yourself. Do you accept that... uh, that that has just been made of no account. He's annulled it. And if he has annulled it, there was no one who can, who can bring it up again. So uh, there's the two in himself into one new man. That's the new man is the, just simply the one who has been saved by the blood of Jesus. It's regarded as entirely new before God because the first man, the first order of man has been judged. That's gone. It's been judged at the cross the Lord Jesus was buried. That's where the whole first order of man, as we call it, went out of sight. And it's never going to come up again. So uh, he's making both one, one new man. So we all stand, all believers stand on that basis, as entirely new from God's point of view. Because the old order has been judged. It's never to come up again. But God is he's creating, isn't he? In every believer, something which is going to go into eternity. It's extraordinary, isn't it, that uh, we all die. As uh, coming from Adam, we all die. But we're also told in Scripture that in the Christ, in Jesus, all should be made alive. So, uh, he's reconciled both in one body. Wonderful thought, isn't it, of reconciliation? I think of uh, reconciliation is necessary where enmity has come in, where differences have come in. Where persons have fallen out. They need to be reconciled, don't they, if they're going to be able to get on with one another. But you think of the reconciliation from God's point of view. This isn't just uh, men falling out with one another. It's a question of God's rights. God's rights as a creator. God's uh, rights uh, as a holy God. And he's been offended by sin. But yet he himself has provided reconciliation through Christ. That uh, he's reconciled both. And it says, coming." he has preached the glad tidings of peace to you who are far off and the glad tidings of peace to those who were nigh. Well, that's really echoing what Isaiah said, isn't it? All those years before Paul was writing. Peace to those who are far off. Peace to those who are nigh. However you regard yourself. Whether you regard yourself as a good Christian whether you're a church goer, you think that you're you're near because of that. Well, the gospel goes out to you. It's not uh, going. Uh, it's not uh, avoiding you. But then you could be the very <coughs> you might say the most distant person. You could have got away, couldn't you? Sometimes speak about uh, my father's stepfather. He was brought up in a Christian household. He might have said that he was someone who was near. He was nigh brought up with that great privilege, but he wanted to get away. And he joined the navy. And God let him go. But you know he had converted in China. Extraordinary, isn't it? He was one who was afar off. Afar off in his soul, but afar off literally, you might say, as having got as far as China in a ship. And God spoke to him there. He hadn't let him go. And you know God won't let you go. He knows you. He knows you're just sitting here listening to the word. And he won't let you go. You might go away from this preaching. You might go to the other side of the world. But you know God knows where you are. And he's not going to let you go. So those who are far off. Have glad tidings. Preach to them. And I read in Romans. Because this is now our side. Therefore having been justified on the principle of faith so faith comes in that's another of god's remedies isn't it for what is in ourselves remedy for those who are wicked by nature is something which god has given god has given his only begotten son as we read uh, later in this in this same epistle that um, uh, He who, yea, has not spared his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him grant us all things? So amongst those all things is faith. It's a gift of God because he knows that there is nothing in ourselves that could even begin to attain to our salvation. So he gives faith. It's... I suppose it's just one uh, evidence to us that... uh, we can bring nothing to God of ourselves, we can bring no goodness, but God provides everything. He's provided a saviour. And here we have faith, We're justified on the principle of faith, and it says we have peace towards God. No peace for the wicked, but we have peace. Those are persons who have been justified. In other words, they're regarded as righteous before God. No... Uh, Nothing can ever be brought up against them. As we read in Colossians, we're unblameable before God if we simply put our faith in the finished work of Christ and in his person. So we have peace towards God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have also access, by faith, into this favour in which we stand. That's the enjoyment of peace, the favour in which we stand. You think if you came before somebody and you were afraid of getting judged by him, and say so he came and he threw his arms around you you would know the favor in which you stood wouldn't you and that is how god wants you to be uh, in regard to him as the favor in which you stand that's one thing that uh, when we read luke 15 we read of a son who got away got away into a car, into a far country and the glad tidings were to him in the far country just as they were when he was at home but uh, he knew the favor in which he stood when he came back home. He must have wondered personally what reception he would have from his father when he got there. When he'd uh, gone away with uh, with so much money and he'd spend it all. And uh, he came back as one who was uh, being utterly impoverished. But he knew uh, coming back to his father the favor in which he stood. And so it says, and we boast in hope of the glory of God. Interested in what it says, just thinking of what we read in Isaiah where it says, I create the fruit of the lips. We boast in hope of the glory of God. That is the result of the gospel in a believer. <laughs> that uh, we have nothing in ourselves to boast of. No, we're, we're sinners, poor sinners who can do nothing to save ourselves. But we're boasting in hope of the glory of God. Now that means that our minds have totally changed. They're not, uh, Wicked minds, not minds filled with enmity and murder, but uh, minds which are filled with the glory of God. Jesus is the one who glorified God on the earth. So God wants to occupy you now with the Saviour. Not just at the moment when you receive him as your Saviour for your sins, but uh, he wants to occupy you with him through the rest of your life. And he's given the Holy Spirit, who will occupy you with the glory of God. He's the one uh, who's come to dwell in the hearts of those who have accepted the Lord Jesus as Saviour. The Lord Jesus is now in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is here. And uh, what he loves to do is to bring before you in a fresh way the greatness of Jesus. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. That is how God has shown his full satisfaction in the person and in the work of Jesus. And that he's raised him from the dead and he's set him at his right hand. And the Holy Spirit would uh, occupy with that so that you boast in hope of the glory of God. May God bless the word.